Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello there, and welcome to episode nine of the Wealth Co. podcast. Today we have with us Dr. Megan Helwig. Dr. Megan is a sought-out doctor of physical therapy based in Southern California, but sees clients all over the nation. In truth, doctor of physical therapy doesn't do her justice, as you'll see. She's more of a physical therapist mixed with a coach, a philosopher, a sister, and a psychologist all rolled into one. She has an East Coast vibe, which I love in that she's direct, she's honest, and you know exactly what you're getting when you're talking with her. She's worked in finance in New York. She was a Division I field hockey player. She's now a triathlete, and she's mom to a beautiful pup. As you'll see in the podcast, Dr. Megan has a really beautiful way of approaching the body. Not just as a, oh, you have this problem, so let's look at that specific area, but rather she looks at everything about how you got to the injury. She connects how your neck pain could be linked to a relationship. She looks at your breath work as a potential cause for why you get sleepy in the afternoon. She's constantly learning and tweaking things alongside with you and incorporating many different modalities, rock tape, breath work, cupping, and other things you might not really expect from your physical therapist. I was introduced to her by the fantastic Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, who I had on the show previously and you've got to listen to. So a big shout out and thank you to Dr. Gabrielle. I think you'll really enjoy this chat with Dr. Megan and how she approaches healing the body. Especially in today's day of COVID insanity with stress and anxiety and and not being able to move quite as much, I think this is a pertinent conversation because it truly might be that your physical pain is actually stemming from something else in the environment. I hope you enjoy this. Dr. Megan, welcome. Hello, hello. Hello. Thank you very much for taking the time. And I'm really excited for this conversation about something that's close to my heart. And yet I don't do it enough, which is strength and mobility and posture. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, So in terms of your background and how you got here, I think you and I have similar histories in that we were both in kind of the finance consulting route. We were both sports players, um, both got injured. I, I got injured with a knee injury when I was running my half marathon. Um, but you even took it further. You kind of got injured and then got into PT. So can you tell us a little bit about your history as well and how you got into this world? Yeah. So same as you, I've been an athlete my whole life. Um, every sport possible, probably. And ended up playing field hockey in college. When I got out of college, I was like, I need something competitive. Um, Got into the tri world and started doing triathlons. And at one point, I had like massive knee pain. I couldn't run off the bike. Um, And this is when I was working in finance in New York and found a PT in New York City that like treated the who's who and all like the um, different athletes and stuff. So I'm like, oh, I'm going here. And as I was going through my rehab, I was like, this is something I could see myself doing. Like I can't see myself sitting at a desk for the rest of my life um, working. And so that's when I was like, all right, what do I need to do to go back um, to become a PT? And little did I know there was all this other stuff, like acute care, like all these other settings where I was just like, nope, I want to deal with my athletes. I want to deal with ortho. I don't want to deal with neuro. Well, now I come to find out, one, it's all neuro. 
like everything, the brain dictates everything for us. Um, but it was a journey. It was a journey because undergrad, I never took any sciences. So I had to go back, take all the sciences before PT school, then PT school. And then now I've been practicing for about 10 years, maybe 11 years now. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. A complete shift, 180 degree shift over to, to the body and almost then to the brain with the body. Oh yeah. Yeah. So for you, I mean, you, I think a lot of, and we'll get into it of talking about how, how much the brain does impact how we stand, how we feel, how we work, how we move. Uh, But before we get into that, one thing that I'd like to understand is strength versus mobility. What is the definition for you? What is the difference for you? Um, two totally different things. Strength is just going to be, or if we think about stability, well, strength is going to be power, how much like a power output, um, and load versus stability is being able to control, um, in different ranges. So I think a lot of people mix up like, oh, I need to be more flexible or I need to be more mobile. Um, but also we have to remember, can you control? So you can stretch all you want, but you also have to learn how to control in those ranges. Um, so biggest thing for me is helping people understand the why behind when they say they feel like they need more mobility. Um, do they truly need more mobility or do they need, um, the awareness in the brain and ability to control movement in those ranges? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, sometimes when I'm teaching, I'll give a little graph and it will be like, okay, this is my available range that I have. So like, say raising my arm up, this is my available range. All right. But if I assisted it or had someone else passively take me and there's a ton more range in that, that window. So on the graph, you're going to see it kind of go like this. That gap in the middle is almost going to be your risk for injury. Mm -hmm. There's a big discrepancy versus active and like passive range of motion. Um, And we need to fill that in, whether it be one strength training or reconnecting the brain to understand I need to learn how to control it in that, those end ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like three different definitions there. Yep. So that mobility, stability, and then once you are able to control, then you want to increase load, which would then be more of the strengthening. Yep. Yep. So for, so he, cause you work with both men and women with your mm-hmm. clients. Do you, what is the typical thing that you see for women? Is it that they have, that they're hypermobile, but they don't have a lot of control and that stability. So I would say as a, a common theme, it's not always, you know, you always have those outliers. You have people that present totally different than what you thought they would present as. Um, but more often than not, it's they're wanting to be more mobile but they've been stretching all the time and nothing changes or they've been doing yoga or doing other stuff. And they're like, it doesn't change. It keeps feeling tight. And that's when I have to like educate them. Like that's just a feeling. Um, are you truly tight? Cause they'll sit there and stand and touch their toes and palm the floor. They're like, but my hamstrings are tight. I'm like, well, maybe the hamstrings are tight because it's the brain saying, Hey, don't go any further. I can't control this end range. Mm-hmm. So that feeling could be protective. Um, which is a lot of times what I find with women too, especially um, if we've had any traumas in our life, which most of us had in some shape or form, whether it be, you know, physical trauma, emotional trauma, um, physical giving birth, different things, stomach issues, all that stuff, anxiety, stress, our body will respond to that. And so sometimes I find that more with women, we hold that and there'll be a lot more of would you say maybe restrictions um, that could be connected to those other things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
still find it with men too, um, but not as much. Usually, I would say more mobility for them, but there's always going to be those cases. So. Right. Right. That's and I like what you just brought up in terms of the point of, of a tight muscle. Uh, I was doing this, this massage program where basically the guy was talking about tight muscles in air quotes, right? Because oftentimes we'll say tight muscles, but what does that mean? Is that that the muscle is too short or that it's too long? Because both can be tight. Right. If I, if I look at my, my pecs and if I push on them, then that can be very, very tight. Similar, similarly, the muscles in the back can also be quite tight as well, but tight doesn't actually explain anything. It's more the, is the muscle too short and, and then put, you know, getting a lot of strain on it, or is it too long and, and actually needs to be shortened and strengthened. Right. Do you find that as well? Well, I would take it even a step further where that's why you have to test it. Like, mm-hmm. and I'll give people some exercises. If these don't work, then come in. Um, because you might find things that are tight and painful because they're actually weak. Mm-hmm. So the body's like, nope, I can't control that. I'm just going to tighten up and lock you in this position because I can't control moving in and out of that position. So sometimes, like you said, tight and weak, instead of stretching, we're going to go and strengthen. And then all of a sudden when the brain's like, oh, I feel safe now, I can actually control this. All of a sudden it starts to let go. So like the most common thing, I'll get people coming in saying, I want you to release my psoas or my hip flexors. Right. I'm like, well, first we need to test them. One, are they tight and weak or tight and strong? Two, let's look at your posture because more women than men are usually anterior tilted mm-hmm. of the pelvis and an anterior tilt is going to shorten hip flexors, overwork low back, inhibit core. Um, so all of those things, it's all this whole cycle. So I'm not just going to go and release their hip flexor because there's a lot of other things that need to be addressed yeah. if that release, if it's even a release, um, were to stick. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, it's kind of in that interior tilt. It's that your, your pelvis is just tipped forward, right? Mm-hmm. So think of your pelvis as like, um, a fishbowl. Mm-hmm. It's going to be here more of the time. So it's going to be here dipping out the front. Then it's going to put more strain on hamstring insertion, going to overwork low back. It's going to inhibit core because ideally we'd rather be here and stacked yeah. and it's going to put a little length on the hip flexors. But if we're tipping out the front, this is the path of least resistance, right? It's easier yeah. to hang on the joints than to actually be active and holding it that way. Yep. Yep. That's so. funny because to me, that looks like the perfect gymnastic stance, right? Okay. When you're standing back and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like, I literally, the biggest thing that I didn't realize how bad I was with that. And I worked at a, so when I first graduated, I worked at an outpatient ortho setting, like sports setting in a hospital. Um, And at the end of the day, I didn't realize when I get tired, my posture would get worse and worse. And the other PTs would imitate me and walk around like over-exaggerating it. And they're like, that's what you look like by the end of the day. And I was like, no, I don't. They're like, yeah, you do. So I was like, oh crap. Like, how am I like preaching all this to other people and I'm like falling apart by the end of the day? I need to work on some stuff. Sure, sure. Um, and so, so for, for folks like that, selfishly, I'm asking for myself, uh, for folks like that, is it is it really just more of the core and 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 focusing on the core? Or what is what is the first thing you would tell? A combination. So connecting breath to rib cage to pelvis mm-hmm. in there. It's easier when we're like when we're here all the time, you're increasing the length here and you start to see like the rib cage flare on there. 
and then tipping forward. So if we can get here, so I just tell people, pull your pubic bone up towards your belly button. Mm-hmm. And doing that engages some of the lower core. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're hanging out in that dipped or tipped anterior pelvis, like we're not engaging, like to get a good breath in that position too is hard. Yeah. Like I'm going to breathe more up here. If I'm anterior, if I'm stacked, I have a chance to breathe lower. Right. Right. Because your diaphragm can actually have it, have the space to expand and, and yeah, it's in a uh, more slinky it. centrated position stacked over. And that's the biggest thing. Like every client, so any female that and male, but females too, depending on how they address me, every single client we're going over breathing because that's something we do 20,000 times a day. And usually 99% of us are doing something a little wrong mm. with our breathing. That could be the underlying cause for everything that they're feeling. So walk us through that more. What does so, that mean for you? For me. So if we think, imagine like working out and you're going to, okay, I'm going to do some lunges or some squats. Imagine doing 20,000 squats in one day. Bad. Like it's not going to feel good. Right. But we don't think about 20,000 breaths a day. That's 20,000 reps. If we're not using the right muscles, we're overusing. So say someone with shoulder pain, someone with back pain, someone with neck pain, someone with hip pain, like it all could be from a faulty breathing pattern and they don't realize it. And like, so that's the first thing I asked too, when our clients come in, I was like, if they've seen other people and it hasn't worked, I'm like, well, one, have they worked on your breathing? And they're like, no, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I ask about past history and injuries and they're like, oh, they didn't ask about any old stuff. I'm like, well, your history paints the map for where I'm going to go. Um, because maybe you had a C-section or maybe you had um, uh, like gallbladder scope or a hernia repair or like breast implants or some type of surgery in the trunk area. That surgery alone or trauma could have changed your breathing pattern, but you never think of it. The doctor says, oh, just rest for four to six weeks and then you're cleared. All right. Well, you just had four to six weeks of avoiding maybe breathing down into that area and created a new pattern. Mm-hmm. When you're cleared to go back, the body's like, oh, let me revert back to my old patterns. It doesn't like it's just going to move on with these new patterns because it's the path of least resistance. Like, and you don't realize it's all subconscious. So people don't realize they're like, yeah, I breathe. They don't realize they're not breathing properly. Right. right. They've done studies where like looking at just like, I think it was either between 30 or 60 seconds of overbreathing, where we're like in the chest more, like more of that anxious breath destabilizes the core. They've done like EMG studies. So even just 30 to 60 seconds of overbreathing um, or hyperventilation destabilizes our core. Um, chronic upper accessory um, breathing up in here can cause increased tone in the upper traps. And and so people are always feeling like they have to stretch, but is it actually the muscle or is it maybe just the fascia Mm -hmm. around there? Cause it's now in fight or flight mode and the body's like, Nope, I need to lock on. Like we're ready to go to war. Um, Not thinking that you could use your breath to downregulate your system Mm -hmm. um, and control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so So, when you're saying the hyperventilation that we are not talking about, the like the Wim Hof breathing. You're talking about shallow, short breaths when you're mm-hmm. when you're feeling overwhelmed. So, for example, yeah. you know when you get an email or when your boss is is yelling at you or your kids are just running amok or whatever, right? It's that short, shallow, not quality breath work, not the hyperventilation where it's it's very 
controlled within a Wim Hof breathing, for example, correct? And that's what I dig into their history more. So I'll have to ask them like, okay, I might have to ask them about their home life. I might have to ask them about their work life. I might have to ask them about relationships. I might have to ask them, I ask them, do you have stomach issues? Do you have like, you know, um, stomach, bowel issues, um, anxiety, do they clench their jaw? All these other things lead me to believe, okay, we need to like bring it to their consciousness. Like, do they change their posture and breathing the second they walk into their house because they're walking on eggshells because they, it's not a safe environment or, you know, there's just something that big elephant in the room and things need to be addressed and they subconsciously change how they breathe. They don't like their boss, like a relationship that they're not happy with. Like those are things that could be the reason why they're presenting with physical stuff in my office. Um, so some people ask me like, why are you asking these questions? I'm like, well, we want to get to the bottom of your symptoms, not just keep treating the neck pain. Like the neck pain's not going to go away until we change the breathing issue that happens every time you walk into work every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fascinating that, so the idea that your pain is ultimately coming from your feeling of safety. And whether you're feeling safe is whether you potentially would be breathing correctly or not, or shallow or, or changing your breath work because of the environment that's around you. Mm-hmm. I mean, if in a broad, like generalized, like um, thinking about it, like, yeah, like your brain will only yet let you do what it feels safe to do. So whether it's going and doing a one rep max kind of lift versus just going for a daily walk and being comfortable Um, or cleaning around the house and being able to bend over to pick something up. Like all of it goes back to your brain will only grant you what it feels safe doing. Um, If it doesn't feel safe, you'll probably still be able to do that activity. You might just be compensating and not know it. Mm -hmm. So some people will be going on with their, like I call myself, I'm a high functioning dysfunctional athlete. Like I'm not going to stop. And that's my personality. Like I'll just find another way to do it. Um, So for me, when I treat, I need to understand my client's personality in there too. Are they the type of person when they feel pain, they're like, nope, I'm stopping. Or they're like, oh, if I just shift this way, I don't feel it. I'm just going to keep going this way. Like, mm-hmm. side- uh, and then all of a sudden, two months later, you have an overcompensation and have pain on the other side. Yeah. And that's why taking the history to find out what did you change over the past few months or years? Yeah. When stuff, whenever someone's like, oh, my pain like just came out of nowhere. Well, I'm like, well, no, it didn't. We need to do some more research. Like, what, did you change your shoes? Um, did you put orthotics in? Did you have some big life event? Like something usually change jobs. So then you're changing your setup, maybe a longer commute, Mm -hmm. or now you're working at home and your kids are around and stressed. Like there's so many different factors. So it's just like, for me, I just need to listen and ask the right questions. Yeah. So people are, people are coming to you for, for physical therapy, where they're getting a psychologist and a doctor (laughs) at the same time. That's, that's a Yeah. Like I'll be in here. I'm like, so did you think you were going to talk about any of these things today? They're like, no. Like some of them are ready to talk about some of that stuff. And then there's times you get people where they are like, nope, shut off. Like I've had some of like my Navy SEALs and stuff. Like I'm like, am I going to be able to tap in and break this wall? Like they're really good at hiding some of this stuff. Like they're showing like no emotion, like everything's fine. Just my ankle hurts. Just fix my ankle. And um, yeah, there's more often we need to dig into some other stuff and it takes a few sessions maybe to like let them feel comfortable. Right. Um, Right. So yeah, makes. I mean, it makes sense because again, you're. It's very easy to say, yeah, this is a pain. This is, this is a a bodily thing, versus this is my lifestyle. 
This is how I sit. This is who I interact with. This is what my environment is. This is something that I have to change about my breath work that I haven't changed for 30 years. Right. And are they willing to do the change? You know, sometimes people are comfortable in their discomfort or they like, they're like, Oh, like an example, I'm just thinking of some people that I have, um, or had in the past, like they are their diagnosis. Like, no, did you see the MRI report? Like I have five herniated discs. And I want to be like, well, you could have had that your whole life. And that might not mean that's why you're presenting with these symptoms. Like you take healthy, a hundred healthy individuals, 60% of them are going to have positive findings on MRI and they have no symptoms. Um, so it's kind of hard depending on the, we get back to personality type, like Mm -hmm. they want something else to fix them or they want like, or their identity is being able to say, I have all these issues. Um, if they're not ready to let go of it and be free of that, like, there's not much I can do. I can try and help and give them some strategies to maybe decrease and cope with it. Mm-hmm. But if they're not willing to be able to one, forgive themselves um, for the way they've treated themselves and all this, like that's sometimes people don't realize we're going to be talking about that in a session, yeah. um, but also not identifying and thinking they are the diagnosis. Like it's the end of the world type of thing. Like, Oh my God, I'm, I have herniated discs or I am whatever you want to call it. Okay. Um, so that's another big issue. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I, I can relate to that. Because I mean, again, knee pain, it's like, Oh, I have I have this whole health history. Yeah. Like, okay, well, you're not you're not your injuries. Remember, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So moving on in terms of, again, specifics between men versus women, what you've seen um, exercises for men versus women, or things that you think would help women specifically? I mean, I don't think there's any specific exercises because like being a woman that I shouldn't do that a man's, a man's going to do. Um, I do take into consideration what time of the month it is. Um, so I think that's the bigger, um, issue is paying attention to our cycle, Mm. um, being open to talk about our cycle. Um, some, and it depends, like I have one trainer I work with very closely and see a lot of his clients and he openly talks with all of his female clients, um, about their cycle. Nice. Um, Um, that's something where, okay, during a certain phase when certain hormones are raising up, you know, I know, okay, be aware. You're not going to be your strongest right now. Mm. Be aware. You might be a little more lax, um, and you're not going to be able to stabilize. Also think like leading up to your period, like there's a lot of swelling and inflammation happening before you have your period. So your core might not be as, um, engaged or efficient as it would be maybe six to eight days after your period started in there. So for women, high intensity training, um, strength training, like for me, I'm going to lower the reps. Um, actually, no, I'm going to higher the reps, lower the weight mm-hmm. and be smart, smart about my form, like leading up to my period and stuff. Cause I know that's when I'm more lax. I'm also thinking about if I want to go for a one rep max and like go really heavy, I'm going to wait until after my period's over, like right around that five to 10 or so day area, right when you get towards ovulation, you will get a little more laxity too, because of the hormones. But I'm thinking a few days after the period starts that like that first and second phase, um, is where I'm going to go heavier. So for exercise wise, I would want them to be mindful of that. Um, so that's something for them to think about. Yeah. So, um, just to recap the, so when you have your period, don't high high amount, but low, oh, sorry, high reps, but low weight, 
um, leading up to the period. Yep. Um, so right around when you ovulate and then leading up to having your period, yep. um, hormones in there, you might be a little more lax. Yep. So I know for me, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to do any heavy deadlifting. Um, I'm not going to expect to feel really strong during that time leading up to my period. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even the first day or two, depending on women, that's when they feel the crappiest cause it's super heavy and crampy, but trying to get a workout in, you will feel better. Yeah. Um, and then as like a few days in, that's when you start to feel a little bit better, getting more energy back. Um, and when you should be able to do more, um, the other thing is too thinking about the hormones. So leading up to it, we're going to go higher reps, lighter weight, but being mindful of form. Mm-hmm. right? Don't let our form break down. That's at a time where it's easier to break down because we're feeling fatigued. We're feeling not as strong um, in there. And then you can go a little bit heavier and start to ramp that up after um, a few days into your period. And then that like second phase. Yeah. In there. yeah that, make, that makes sense. And then during your period, do you find that it's more stretching? It's more um, like longer walks or lower, like lower intensity? What do you do for the, the first couple of days of your period? So I would, I would say a year ago for me, day one and day two or the day before and day one and two were horrible. Like Mm -hmm. I almost would be bedridden. I'd be taking painkillers one day. Um, so the thought of it about even working out wasn't really happening. I just go for a walk. I'm like, nope, this is turning into a rest day. Um, the other thing is certain times of our cycle, we're going to have more inflammation. Um, we're going to have more inflammation and we're not going to be recovering as well our body will recover better in that second phase or so um, where we're not going to feel as recovered. So we can go ahead and push it, but just realize the next day you might not be feeling as well um, because you're not going to recover as well. So I would say during my period for me, um, and this is something we can get into more of, I'm more of a stability issue. I don't need like, yeah, stretching feels good for me. Um, but what my body needs more of is more stability work. So I'll do more activation exercises during that phase to kind of reconnect the dots. Um, and kind of like we call it the dots or the circuit, the pathways, whatever to the brain, um, to bring more awareness to that and kind of bring more stability. When I do that, that's when I feel more mobile. Nice. Um, So, I mean, I, no matter where it is, in my cycle, I'm always doing like activation stuff before I train, but I'll be more conscious of it um, leading up to my period and maybe doing more activation stuff before I train because my body needs that. Mm-hmm. What's an example of an activation that you could maybe so show for us? Me, tell us I pair it together. I'll start with some breathing. Mm. Like if I were just to even get on my table. Um, so before I work out, I'll have like just get up, have my feet resting on something and just go through you know, some 360 breathing, waking up the core, going in, doing some stuff with my breath. And then from there, you can even get in, go in and do some food stuff. Um, so I probably take maybe a minute of breathing mm-hmm. there, maybe a minute of doing some core activation, then go through maybe a set of 10 or whatever reps of like, whatever it may be. I, I don't think of a number. I think of the feeling I get in a good burn. Yeah. Um, then I'd even turn over and I'd do crawling and I'll crawl in all different directions um, just to engage the core. So just getting up into, you know, like a stacked little bear crawl and go and crawl in all different directions to kind of fire up my midline. Um, usually I feel better working out doing all that beforehand. So I kind yeah. of have a little routine. If I do do a little mobility work, I always pair it up with some other type of activation. Because for me, if something's tight, it's usually because it's either cheating 
or something I need to open up posture-wise. Um, so I'll stretch, but if I stretch, then I might be doing some band work and like firing up the back line mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the front. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. Now for, um, for folks who cross their legs, what do you think? <laughs> what, is, what is one way? Because that's obviously, and many of us do do that. It's just comfortable. It's just comfortable. And how often, if like you were to think of which leg you cross, is it always the same one? Right over left usually, yes. So it's like, you don't even think about it. You just do it. So then for those people, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to challenge you. I want you, like, if you're going to be sitting for an hour, I want you to switch. And halfway through, do it the other way. It's going to feel weird because our body starts to adapt. So we could have, so say that tightness um, could actually be adaptive shortening due to posture, due to a position we put ourselves in all day. All right. So one thing would be if we're crossing our legs, that means our legs are probably going in. Right. So now we're stretching and kind of inhibiting, if we want to call it, or just delaying mm-hmm. um, the activation of some of maybe the hip abductors because we're abducting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something where I'd add in exercises. You can even just do the glute bridges, but put some bands on and do some activation for the outside of the hips in there. Yeah. Um, but also, I always have to say, like, if they're having symptoms, I'm going to test it because maybe their adductors are short and weak too. Like, yeah. like we said before knowing are they short and weak are they short and strong so try strengthening the other stuff first and see if it clears up or switching up that pattern yeah as hard as it is as awkward as it is like if i get in and sit indian style i always want to go which one um this one lower right right low yeah i can't this just feels weird like it's just like nope (laughs) yeah it's not going to happen. Yeah. One, uh, one exercise that I was told because I do cross my legs quite, quite often. Um, and, and have that hip kind of forward feeling, um, is when you're sitting, if you're, especially if you have a rolly chair, then tuck your, your legs underneath it and kind of pigeon toe it. So your knees are, are coming in, but then you're like, you're the tops of your feet are on the ground. So therefore you're, you're kind of, you're bringing your hips around those hips more than adducting maybe yeah yeah Yeah. and I found that anytime I had it it really helped with some of my knee pain as well um because again you're you're changing that pattern of constantly Mm -hmm. rotating out to rotating in and that's the same thing like for people that maybe are in the car commuting a ton Mm -hmm. like do they sit with their arm on the middle like the console in there, do they slide into one hip? If they're sliding into one hip, that could be the discrepancy if they're spending hours there. And then if they, it's not a new car, maybe you've had the car five, 10 years. I'm like, that seat has probably been molded to the position that you love um, and is not helping. No. Um, so there are some things where, okay, I want you to go the other direction, like, like we just said before. And it just, it feels weird, but it's just breaking those habits. Right. Um, trying to balance things out. Cause so like, if you're in a position, okay, look at the position, what's short, on there. Um, okay. What's the opposing groups. Okay. Let's activate the opposing groups. If they're going to be stretched for a while to get into that other position to try to balance it out. Yeah. Yeah. And those muscles will be sore the next day or for a while as you're starting to re relearn that or rebalance. Anytime you're waking something up that hasn't been engaged as much. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just started a new cycle with lifting um, and it has a bunch of pulling moves in it. And I woke up one morning. I'm like, why is my neck so sore? I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, Oh, I just did a whole new group of exercises that I haven't done in a few years. Yeah. It's going to be sore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, 
Now heels, I know you're going to say just throw out all the heels completely, (laughs) but let's say you like to salsa dance. Let's say you enjoy having heels. Let's say it's just not going to happen. What, what, what do we, what should we do? So depending on what it's for, like we're going to a wedding, if we're going to a special event, like you want to look good. I totally get it. Um, I'm the same person. Like I had an interview a year. I think we talked about this. I had an interview a year ago and it was for a documentary. And I'm like, I don't know if my whole body's going to be on it. I don't know if it's just from the way up. So I had like a nice outfit on and I had these shoes and the whole time driving up, I had the shoes in my bag. Um, and I took a picture to my friend who specializes in feet. I'm like, in case you see these, um, on me, they're only on for a few minutes, just so you know. Um, so I do have a few pairs of shoes that are totally not realistic. Um, my feet hurt after wearing them, but they look good. Hmm. So I'll be okay with that for a little bit. As long as you're taking them off, putting some toe spacers on afterwards, doing some foot yoga and stuff afterwards, um, in there, because it's not great. Like we look at the shape of our feet and if you were to look at the outline of the foot and then put it over the outline of the insole of your heel, Hmm. does it actually fit? Or are you smushing the feet in to fit into that shoe? So that's something I'll tell people to do. I'm like, I'll take their inserts out when they're in the office, even if they're just in little, sh- whatever, like flats, mm. and I'll make them stand on the insert. And I'm like, okay, does your foot even stay within the insert there? Yeah. Um, more often than not, it doesn't. And they're being smushed into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think about it, if you're not using it, you lose it. So if you're restricting the mobility in your foot, you're actually, when you're wearing them, you're technically could be weakening your foot. Mm-hmm. Just like orthotics too. Some people need them and that's okay. But ideally I'm going to want people to work on strengthening the intrinsics and the function of the foot before having to go to some external support. Because like we said, the brain rules everything. If it doesn't have to work, right? If there's some external support in the foot and it doesn't have to work, the brain's like, oh, okay. So the foot's just going to be like, no, it's, there's external support. I'm good. But you're never using those intrinsics now. Right. So if you don't lose it, you lose it. And now you're wondering why your foot, foot pain is getting worse. You just listened to the doctor that said you had to get orthotics and it's not changing anything. Hmm. Um, so not always the case. And there's going to be some people that need to have stuff or yeah. have support. Um, but if you could find shoes that maybe have a wider toe bed, mm-hmm. I'd be happier yeah. in there. If you can have some mobility of the toes, like that's where we're going to have the best balance too. So right. if we're thinking about it for like dancing and stuff, like, we're going to have to compensate if we don't have full use of our intrinsics in our feet. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And so for those women who, I mean, I, I've noticed that I start having a little bit of a bunion, right. Um, and that I, I perceive that to be because of, I mean, ballet kind of the the point shoes that I used to wear. And then also the heels that I've, I've worn for years. Is that true? Or is that, is that false? Um, so some people are like, Oh, it's genetic, which I don't agree with. I think it's habit. Um, a lot of times habit, what position are you putting your foot in all the time? So if you look down at a lot of the narrow shoes or those super pointy shoes, like Mm -hmm. what are you doing to your big toe? So then every step you're now pushing off with the toe, like adducted in a little bit. Yeah. Now you're training your body because anything more than three reps is training now. Right. So Mm -hmm. more than three steps, you're training your body to keep in that position. So now you're training the brain. And so it's going to start to adapt, especially you're going to see bony changes. You're going to see um, joint changes. If one, we're putting ourselves in these positions Two, could it also be, maybe you have some restricted mobility in the big toe, Mm -hmm. right? So for people that have like a restricted big toe joint, 
they're not going to be able to push off when they're walking. So they'll roll off to the side. Mm. So could some of that be a restricted joint? So just finding another path to do the task. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing could be too, is when you don't get that push off, you're not engaging your glutes as much. So then you start engaging the front line of the leg more to swing through. Um, so there's a whole cycle that happens where, um, decreased glute and hip strength correlates to sometimes with bunions too. Could there be a connection between the two because mm-hmm. you're not stable from your pelvis, you're altering down the chain. Mm-hmm. Is there a limited mobility in the ankle? Um, is there a limited strength in the foot? If you don't have the strength in the foot, it kind of collapses and then you kind of push off the side. Mm. Um, so it's, you want that spring effect. I'm okay if people have flat feet, it's just, can they control the flat foot right. and they control it and there. Right. Um, so there's a bunch of different factors that could play into it, but shoe wear and think of the hours over the years that we spent working in the, that, you know, those footwear, um, create create patterns and habits mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and sometimes structural changes. I was, I was just going to say it's what kind of, what comes to mind is the shoes that you're using. Ultimately they potentially, what you just said was they're disbalancing your hips. And if your hips are disbalanced, that's disbalancing your spine. And therefore what is that doing to your neck? And potentially could that be, you know, if we're, if we're thinking everything is connected, could that be the reason why you're having headaches? Could oh. that be the reason for neck pain? Mm-hmm. So people, that's like the conversation I'll have with people. Like I'm checking their big toe and they're coming to me for their neck hurting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it, it could be connected. You know, when, then when you have clients that especially have gone to like gone to the chiropractor, I've gone to, you know, acupuncture, I've gone to massage, I've gone to three other PTs and nothing's changed. I'm like, well, did they just keep treating your neck or do they look past, past your neck? They're like, no, they just would treat my neck and shoulders. I'm like, all right, they haven't checked all the way up and down chain. We're going far away yeah. um, and walking our way back. And history too um, yeah. will help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what shoes do you recommend if somebody? I mean, are there any heel companies that you like? I haven't looked into that in a while. Yeah, it's so funny because now I've been living like if you guys saw um, barefoot. Um, <laughs> When you're your own boss and you have your own office, I'm like, I can be barefoot at work and not get in trouble. Yeah. Um, I would say, so another resource and someone who would know better than me um, for shoes is on Instagram, um, Gate Happens, but it's G-A-I-T Happens. Um, That's Courtney Conley and her practice. And um, she's one of the other rock tape instructors um, Mm -hmm. and she specializes in feet. Yeah. So something like she's done on her Instagram and all that stuff, all different shoe reviews. Um, So she has them on there, like what she would say are the best shoes mm. um, for that stuff. Um, some of them aren't always the sexiest, but they're functional. Mm. Right. So it's like getting over, like for me, I'm like, I'd rather just be barefoot instead of wearing one of those. Right. Um, right. But it all depends um, what you're doing and each individual too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's some, a resource that I would check. Yeah. Um, she would know that a lot more than me. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll check her out. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think right now, right within COVID, we're all sitting at home. We don't need to be wearing heels. We don't need to be, it's, it's, so it, at some point it does become a game of what are you willing to give up? And if, if you're not feeling the pain of wearing heels, you know, if you're not feeling knee pain, if you're not feeling hip pain or anything like that, then okay, 
you know, maybe you can get away with it because you are kind of balanced for the most part. Um, but if you, if you are experiencing anything, then it's just an interesting conversation of how something that seems so disconnected, so completely different from, from what a normal PT would look at could actually be the cause there. And I think with COVID and all this stuff and our lifestyle changes that had to happen and also the stress that came along Mm. with all that, the fear, like not knowing what to believe, all this other stuff, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, Some people, now that they're home, maybe they're realizing, oh, whatever I had went away, maybe because the stressor was something at work and they don't even have to be there anymore. Mm. Or maybe it could have been like their shoe wear that they had to be, you know, they were dressed up all the time and now they're not wearing that. Um... Or it could also be they're so used to wearing rigid support in their shoes and maybe things got worse now when they're more barefoot in their slippers because they don't have support and they're wondering why mm. it's getting worse and doing less, but maybe it's because it's a strengthening issue and they need to strengthen the foot. Um, so there's, it, I mean, it can go both ways. Um, I think a lot of stuff with COVID, I was seeing a lot of instability but I think that goes back to the breathing and not realizing just being a little anxious, just being a little unsure, the fear of the unknown, what's going on, that alone could have changed breathing patterns that affected people. Yeah, big time, big time. Now, um, you mentioned in passing there rock tape um, and taping. Can we touch on that and what, why, why is it so important and why do you do it and how do we do it? Um, so you get all different camps out there. Some people are like, Oh, tape doesn't work. Some people are like, it works. I don't understand why. Um, some people swear by it. Um, so it's going to be individual for different people, but we already touched on one, the brain. Mm -hmm. So what's happening when you're using tape is you're communicating with the brain. (laughs) So rock tape is not, it's like the stretchy tape, like kinesiology tape. Um, when I use it, I'm not doing it to strap someone in. I'm not using it to be like a support sling in there. Um, not putting a ton of stretch on it, except for maybe there might be a couple applications where I will. Um, what it's really doing is reconnecting to the brain, to that body part. Mm. Um, there's some pain. A lot of times we'll tape the painful area because it's working with the gate theory and you're trying to disrupt the pain signal. So it could be a disruption to the pain signal to the brain to decrease the symptoms. Um, like I said, it's bringing that awareness to it. Um, so reconnecting that, that mapping in the brain. What is the gate theory? Gate theory is pain pathway versus um, the receptors in the skin are going to, so the receptors in the skin, putting tape on there, um, they're going to travel faster to the brain than the pain pathway. So you're almost like intercepting or interrupting and beating the pain signal to the brain. So it kind of like will decrease the symptoms. Some people are like, wow, you just put one little piece of tape on and I feel better. Um, it all depends on what was that underlying cause. Like if there's acute trauma and stuff in there, we're not going to be able to change the tears or stuff. Mm. One of the other big things that rock tape does, it creates a little lift off effect under the skin. So it creates more space. And that's why it works so well when there is trauma, because it will help um, with the fluid dynamics of getting swelling out of that area. Mm. So there's a bunch of different reasons why someone like, so you see someone has tape on, It could be they have pain. It could be bringing more awareness to their posture. It could be there's some kind of acute trauma and we're trying to get rid of swelling. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of different reasons why you could Mm. possibly do the tape. Yeah. So it's, it's not, it's not solely just for stability purposes. No. So there's mechanical that happens with the swelling. Like you could always Google rock tape and like 
um, bruising or something. Mm -hmm. You'll see some cool applications where someone had like, say a bicep tear and it was like purple and you put the tape on. And then a few days later you take the tape off and you see just the lines where the tape was. Cause now there's no bruising in that area. Like it yeah. physically cleared it out. Um, so that's the mechanical side. And then you get that neurosensory side of bringing more awareness. And if the brain's more aware of that area, it's going to feel more stable mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. So certain joints, um, I will use it for just to bring more awareness or stability to that area. Cause the brain's thinking there's some support there. Right. Right. So um, it's not, so it's not a crutch. I mean, cause one of the things that I think people ask is, well, are you, if you're putting the type on there, then your brain is getting used to the fact that it's there and therefore not thinking that it needs to work as much. It's actually the flip. It's your, your brain is bringing more awareness and saying, yeah, we should fire more there. Yeah. Cause it's not, um, it's not like it's like holding you in a position. I mean, Mm. there's some applications where I actually, when we do like a postural application, you're actually going to learn through failure, right? So you put the person in their ideal posture. So say someone has like this forward rounded shoulder, Mm. I'm going to get them here, put the tape on with no extra stretch. But once they fall out of that posture, they're going to, it's going to pull on their skin and they get feedback. Oh, I just fell out of my posture. So they have to correct it themselves. So they learn through failure. Mm. And like it was a little reminder um, to correct themselves yeah. versus, you know, some people are like, Oh, I bought this brace online and it holds me here. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Great. but did you learn how to stabilize and do it yourself? Or are you just depending on the external support? Um, if it has some gives, um, okay with it, depending on, are they using it as a crutch? Um, they need to earn it like, like anything we have to earn it. Um, once we earn it, the brain's like, okay, I trust you go ahead and do the stuff. Yeah. Fair. Fair. That's interesting. I I have not played with, with rock tape before or any of these taping because I've always thought of it as, well, one, I don't know where to tape correctly. And two, it's, it's in my mind, it's a external support, mm-hmm. almost, almost like I've always thought of it as almost like building in scar tissue. And so therefore there, because there's scar tissue there, your body is over, is, is not working as much. I've thought of it as that way. Whereas you're saying that it's the complete flip. So yeah, because the, you'll still have full range of that joint or that tissue, yeah. whatever it's on, because I'm not putting all the stretch on the tape. So yeah. you have like, when I'm doing a normal application, like not a postural application, when I'm doing just pain application, I'll stretch the body and then just put the tape on without stretch. So it's not like some, that's where the people were like, oh, it doesn't work. Or, oh, my skin gets irritated. Some people apply it with too much stretch and then it starts irritating the skin. They get skin breakdown. Um, it's a little more noxious because when they go to move, it pulls Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the effect you want. So there are different techniques to applying it properly and safely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes, I mean, there's easy YouTube videos you can go cause rock tape has a YouTube channel. You can go, okay, shoulder pain tape application. And we'll show like a generic taping application. Um, so there's instruction out there to do it properly. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of people will just buy it because it's freely available stores, wherever mm-hmm. and put it on. And so many people think, Oh, I need more support. I'm going to like strap it on and put it real tight, which it doesn't have to be less is going to be more. Yeah. And is this something that you typically will use just during exercises or, I mean, obviously it, it very much depends on what you're using it for. So if it's a yeah. posture, then you're using it throughout the day. Um, but is that if it's an acute pain and you're trying to rebalance somebody, um, Again, as an example, with the hips, 
right? Yeah. Um, or if they're struggling from a, a pain, a knee pain that they've had in the past, how is that the rehabilitation, which will take three, six months? What's and and you use it during that time frame, or yeah. So it all depends on why I'm using it, the underlying reason. So say maybe the person with the knee pain, it was a patterning issue, right? So maybe it's a patterning issue and a hip stability issue. So I could still, while they're having the acute pain, put the tape on the knee for the pain. So there's a pain application, but then I might also be taping the hip to bring more awareness to the hip. Um, cause then you can wear the tape for three to five days. I mean, some people's skin, it lasts longer. Other people's, if you have super oily and like a huge sweater, maybe it not last as long, but think of it as you have three to five days of wearing that tape, you're getting three to five days of reps with this increased awareness, um, with this decrease in pain. Um, so that's where the changes happen when you get the reps in to change those patterns. Right. Like I would love for all the magic just to happen on the table and they'll be, they get, they get up and they're good but it's also going to be their movements, like their habits, all that stuff. So if I can give them something and it might even just be that they feel safer with the tape on, then they have three to five days of feeling safer Mm -hmm. that they can do certain stuff. And then they're like, wow, like I was okay. I had one client who, I mean, she had every color tape to match her outfits. She she couldn't do stuff and she really couldn't. She it was unfortunate. She was a high level athlete that had a couple surgeries and then things went wrong they kept operating on her knee. Her knee was never the issue. It was her hip, but they just keep taking stuff out of the knee, but it never got better because it was actually a hip issue um, and a core issue. So for her, one day she came in and she's like, oh, before we start, can you take my knee? It fell off. I'm like, okay. But in my head, I'm like, I'm going to push it and see how long we can go. Um, because she was getting towards the end and she was a lot more functional now where initially, like for her, when she would have to go to the bathroom, she would hold her kneecap, push it to the side just to sit to go to the bathroom. Oh, mama. So, and with a newborn, like, that's not, like, we needed to change that. Like, that's not quality of life there. (laughs) She needed something holding or touching her knee for her to feel like she could even move. So there was a ton of fear Mm -hmm. um, because of failed surgery. She traveled all over the world to see supposedly the best doctors and then it failed her. So now she didn't have faith in, Mm -hmm. you know, healthcare and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that day we were ended up doing box step-ups. We were doing squats and box step-ups and halfway through she stopped up on the, on the box and she was like, we didn't tape. And I'm like, and she's like, and I don't have knee pain and I'm doing stuff I never thought I could do. So like that was that moment for her of gaining some of that trust back um, and confidence in her own body, which she didn't think she thought she always had to have the tape on. So like I said before, personality type, Some people like think, and I sometimes have to wean like, so those clients that like, oh, you like need my touch. I start, I tell them, I'm like, so I'll like have a piece of tape and I'll be like, this is like my hands on you. So I'm leaving with you because a lot of times they feel safe doing it in my office and they don't feel safe once they get home. They don't trust themselves. So sometimes having just the tape on gives them the confidence to be able to do it and be safe doing it. Um, So then I might actually have to start weaning on the tape. So maybe the next time I see you, I might cut the tape a little bit smaller. Um, If there was someone that maybe had surgery, like for her, in her case, by the end, I was cutting just like a little piece and just putting a piece of tape on the scar site. Um, Just something there to connect the brain. Um, But sometimes I do have to wean them off of the tape and then realize, okay, I am doing it on my own. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's it, the the connection of the brain and how we can tell these stories to ourselves is something that I don't think that modern science has really looked into enough that no, we the stories that we tell ourselves. It's slowly coming out now and I see a lot more people posting about it like um talking about your mindset, talking about your thoughts when you're going through stuff. Like if you're about to bend over and in your head you're like last time I bent over like this, I threw my back out. Like that was just a ton of negative energy. That was a ton of fear. Your body's going to move differently because now you're guarding because of fear of an old injury. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something I go over with my clients. Like if they're constantly fearful of pain, um, if they're constantly doubting themselves, like, oh, is this going to hurt? Every time they do an exercise, oh, this is a pain in the ass. It's because my shoulder hurts. Why do I have to do this? Like, this Mm -hmm. is boring. Like all of those different types of you know, thoughts are all negative. Um, and our thoughts become our reality and people don't realize, like we said before, some of this will manifest physically. And if they don't change their thoughts, they're not going to change their pain. Yeah. Um, so when I'm doing even muscle testing with my clients, like I'll have them think of something positive or think of something negative and it will change their muscle tests. Um, and that's where sometimes you need the buy-in. Like they're like, what'd you just do? You didn't push as hard. I'm like, no, I actually pushed harder. Um, And it's for them. I'm like, your thoughts are more powerful. Like giving them, they need that buy-in and realizing, wow, I didn't realize like my negative thoughts change how my body moves and reacts. Yeah. Um, So for me in training, like I have like a Bible verse, I have certain things I say in my head before I step up to a heavy barbell. Mm -hmm. Like something, because if I step up to that barbell and I have a fear or, oh, I'm a little unsure, I should just walk away. Like don't even go and attempt it. Like I'm already setting myself up for failure. Right. Right. Um, how do you, how do you train that within your clients, especially somebody who's coming to you with, again, with a trauma, with a physical trauma, um, that they think is just a physical side of things, but in truth, it's com- a combination of the physical and mental. So take uh, for me, for example, when I had my last concussion, I fell on my left occiput. So in your head, uh, kind of the back left of your head, um, hit it really, really hard. I know for a fact, I know I'm aware of it, um, that there is a lot of trauma, like emotional trauma that's sitting with that, um, of always being nervous that there's something back here in the left side that is either going, that, that is a blind spot for me. How do you, if somebody is already aware that that physical trauma has become a, them protecting themselves, how do you change that for them? How do you start changing that for them? So something that happened to me maybe a year ago, almost a year ago right now was I was dating someone um, and we were talking about traumas and we were talking about, you know, physical manifestations of things um, and shoulder. So I was in a bad bike crash in 2011 and shattered this shoulder. Um, plates and screws and all that fun stuff. And then I was in another bike crash in 13 and then was hit by a car um, and was out for a little while with a bunch of tears. And I never realized that I didn't forgive myself for it. So if I go back and think about the crash, you know, I beat myself up like I wasn't paying attention or it was just like the soot in the road and I like didn't slow down. There were signs out there. So like thinking about all the stuff and I, not necessarily that I beat myself up over it, um, but I never truly forgave my, forgave myself for not being fully present mm-hmm. in the moment and through all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for something for me that I'll, it depends on the person if they're open 
to this, I will ask them like, you need to forgive yourself um, for doubting yourself for um, the fear, Mm -hmm. you know, um, forgive myself for allowing those thoughts to come in um, and maybe occupying too much space in my head. Um, That isn't always positive. Um, so thinking about ways for them to let go when it does happen and letting them know it's okay if it happens, but we just can't sit, sit on it and sit with it for a while. We need to let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's going to have an effect on how we move, how we feel, um, and just our overall well being. Um, mm-hmm. so I think the biggest thing is people forgiving themselves because we're our own worst critic. We beat ourselves up the most. Um, and sometimes we don't even realize it. So I think them getting back in touch um, forgiving themselves and saying, okay, I'm going to start over right now. Like, all right, I'm not going to give power to that injury. Um, I'm going to do everything in my power to think about my recovery, think about what I can do to aid in maybe some of the deficits that occurred from that injury mm-hmm. instead of using that as a little bit of a crutch and not even meaning to use it as a crutch. It just kind of subconsciously happens. Right. Right. Uh, and it's, I like what you're saying there as well, because it's, it's not that it's necessarily even using it as a crutch. It's at least in my case, it's saying, yeah, I know that that's aware. I'm aware of it. I'm aware of the, like this blind spot back here. Um, I can't, and, and the language that I'm saying to myself of, I can't do anything about that. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. That happened in the past. <laughs> you can today what can I change what can I address I have this power um I have the power of not letting that negative energy rule me Mm -hmm. um and bring me down um and it's a cycle I mean sometimes we're really good at doing it and I Mm -hmm. find that also bringing in some gratitude Mm -hmm. to it like how often like life is just better when you're thinking about what you're grateful for and more positive thoughts than getting stuck on all these little negative things so like, I'll just ask my clients something that what makes them happy. Um, what are they grateful for? Just different things just to change that, like that cycle in the head mm-hmm. of them not realizing they're getting stuck in that negative cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And, and you mentioned also, and I'm curious, breath work, how, how have you used breath work specifically for, in your case, also combining that with, with, with forgiveness and gratitude, but how have you used that to get over some of that pain? So one of the things is, are there triggers that usually bring up that stuff? Mm -hmm. Um, So whenever I try to have people pair, if you know you're about to walk in a certain room that triggers something, or if you know you're about to go into something that could be a trigger for those thoughts, I need you to take a a moment, stop, and check in with your breathing. Mm -hmm. Like, are you starting to get shallow? Are you getting a little guarded? Is your posture changing? So just little things where they can check in. if the thoughts are like really strong and stuck in their heads, like let's go over, okay, what makes you happy? Is it being outdoors? Is it being at the beach? Like, so if it's at the beach, okay, I want you to visualize putting that thought on a wave and it washing away. Mm. Uh, I want you to just, whatever works for them, something that they can try to like, let go of some of the stuff. And sometimes you need those analogies. Other people are like, that stuff doesn't work. Um, It all depends on the person, but I try to have them somehow connect. So that one client that I talked about with the knee pain and the tape, we were talking about the breathing and she didn't realize every time she goes home with, she was nervous around her kid and all this other stuff that she couldn't be the good mom because she couldn't pick him up because he was big and it hurt and all this stuff. And then she would get all worked up. And next thing you know, she's having like an anxiety attack. Um, And something had happened and she called me and she's like, I just want to let you know, I'm really mad at you, but I'm really grateful for you right now. She, I was like, cause I really want to be anxious right now. I'm really mad about the situation, but then I keep thinking about you 
and I have to stop and take my, my, my breathing. So I got mad for five minutes. Then I did my breathing. I'm like, well, at least you did it. Um, next time, maybe do it within under five minutes. <laughs> um, but it's just realizing, okay, what are our triggers? When those triggers happen, what can I do? Can I take a step back and just reconnect? Or just let it go. Um, so for me in the morning, like that's my quiet time. I never used to be a morning person. Like I was that person snoozing until, okay, I have 12 minutes to get out of the house um, and just running all the time where now I'll set my alarm for 530, even though I don't have to be up till seven, because now I have that hour and a half that, you know, I can go for a walk with the dog. I can sit and have my coffee. I can read, um, usually try to read one or two little things. Then I'll close my eyes and do like a 10 minute you know, just focusing on my breath and getting rid of thoughts Mm -hmm. and just saying like, I'll just recite things I'm grateful for. Um, if I need to start changing it to something more positive. Um, and that's like, I value that time and my days are so much better when I start in that, you know, mindset where I started with my foundation, worked on my breathing, worked on my mindset, you know, hopefully everything else falls into place. If not, you know, maybe I have to do some check-ins during the day, or maybe I have to address something that I've been avoiding. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are all things that like I do in my daily practice um, to change how I feel. Yeah, that that uh, element of that morning time being yours and being sacred to you is one of the biggest things that's actually helped me in the past couple of weeks. I noticed I'm a morning, I am a morning person, yeah. right? And so I, when I was living on the East Coast, it was perfectly fine. Um, now that I've shifted over to the West Coast, something about it, something about the fact that we're behind everybody else in time <laughs> and all the emails are coming through and all the, like, it feels like we're, like the world has already moved on or halfway through their day and we're just playing catch up, at least for me. I have to make sure my phone's on silent because I'm from the East Coast and I'm from New Jersey and like I'm on my family group text. There's like 10 of us in it. And if I don't have it on silent, it's like four, three, four in the morning. The texts are already, it's like blowing up. Um, So, you know, and then I'm like having to do the calculation. Well, what time is it there now? Okay. And then when I'm leaving work, it's like five or six. And I'm like, I want to call them. I'm like, oh crap, it's already, they're already in bed. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And I think, I think for me that like the past couple of weeks of just re-grabbing that time in the morning and saying up until eight in the morning, nothing happens. That's not for me. And so that means either I can sleep until 7.55 and then I have five minutes for me and that's fine. (laughs) Uh, Or if I wake up earlier, that's, it's almost, it's almost like gifted time. You know, it's, and at at least that was a mindset shift for me of saying 8am. That's when I turn on for the world before then that's mine. And that's been really helpful. It's, it's been huge, not only in just for myself and how I feel, but I've actually had clients come back and tell me at certain points. They're like, Oh, this phase of your life or these months I was seeing you, like something was different about you. And I had to look back and I was like, what was I doing differently during those months? And that's when I was like very strict Mm -hmm. on the morning meditation and very strict on certain things. They're like, you were a different person. And I didn't even realize that, but they could actually feel the difference in the energy. Um, so I really believe in like, I've given a, I've been given a gift to help people heal or help facilitate the process of them learning about their, their body. Um, but if I don't take care of myself and I'm not in a grounded, good position, like how am I going to give to them mm-hmm. if I'm not coming from, you know, a grounded position being available to help. Right. Um, so I think the, the gifts that we're given to help others. Like if we don't take care of ourselves, we're wasting them. Yeah. Uh, And I think that can be extrapolated besides beyond just, you know, health workers or, or doctors or kind of physicians. And and it's more so as, as, I mean, as women, we are often giving, 
right? We are often giving either as a mother, as a wife, as a sister, as a daughter, as a, you know, as a CEO, right? Um, It doesn't have to be even women or men, but I do think that women tend to be more of the caregivers oftentimes. And, and so again, it seems like it's selfish and it seems like you're saying, oh, well, no, I don't have time or I'm, I'm dedicated this hour leave me the hell alone. This is my hour. Piss off, you know, and not, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be in that manner, but like, that's the thing. I'm like, you need to find some time. You need to find something that you love and Mm -hmm. you need to go do that because you're just going to be angry and miserable towards your kids or whatever it may be. If you don't take the time for yourself and you're always giving, 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 then there's nothing left for you. Um, and I find that for myself, I am the biggest giver. Um, and it's taken me years and I'm always a work in progress. Um, but boundaries, Mm. like having boundaries, I'm still learning how to do that. Um, and I feel guilty when I tell someone, no, I feel guilty when I'm like, I can't help you right now because I needed to put that boundary in place. And then now I'm sitting dealing with guilt. Meanwhile, I was trying to help myself. (laughs) I feel bad for the person because I like put a boundary up. Um, and it's, it's getting better. Like I'm not feeling as guilty about it because I've seen the changes in just my, my physical chemistry too. Like my body has physically changed when I do these things. I'm not holding on to like water weight. I'm not holding on to like, I, people, someone this week thought I had COVID because I, they, they're like, you look skinnier. I'm like, oh, thanks to COVID. Not meaning I had it, but meaning <laughs> these past six months of me changing my lifestyle and taking care of myself now and getting my sweet little pup, like all those things, I've lost 10 pounds in places that I never thought I could lose the weight. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think women, we carry our stress and our hormones and um, carry fat and body weight differently than men. Mm-hmm. And that's something too, where if we're not taking care of ourselves, that could be part of the reason that stubborn, you know, we're not seeing the changes that we want. Yeah. Yep. That's, it's, it's, it's absolutely, yeah. I have nothing to say that come back to that. Cause that's amazing. It's true. It's absolutely true. Um, so in terms of, cause I, I want to go down this path, but, um, one of the things I think that I've seen you talk a, about again, is that the sticky spot in movement, right. And it's the mobility, stability, breathwork, core fear. Where do you start with that? Where does that, that detective role play in? And yeah. I mean, that's my favorite. That's probably my favorite job is playing detective Mm -hmm. with these things. Um, So I guess when a client comes in and I'm working with them, I'm looking at how they move. All right. Um, What is their body language? Because their body language when they go to do stuff can tell me a lot because they might make faces. They might like, if I ask them to squat and they have a nice pretty squat and like faces relaxed, hands relaxed, toes are relaxed. I'm like, okay, like they aren't fearful. Like they have the confidence to do that movement pattern. But then if I see someone else try to squat, they're making faces, they're clenching their jaw, their fists, their toes are curling. Is that like, maybe they have mobility restrictions and they're just trying really hard. Yeah. So maybe we have to work on some mobility. Maybe it's a fear and a trust thing and their body. They're like, I don't think I can do this. And their body is like trying like, to lock up, to protect them. So for me with a client, I'll regress them. Like I'll get them on the table. And if we're just talking about a squat, like if they can get here and here, like they have the ability to do a perfect overhead squat. Mm -hmm. 
then you have them do it in standing and they collapse over, they can't get to 90. Um, so they have the ability to do it, but then there's some either kind of stability issues or fear issues going on. Mm. Um, so that's like the first thing is like, is it a mobility issue? Because if it's mobility, you're going to see it loaded and unloaded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It changes when you unload the person, then we need to dig in a little bit more. Is it a core thing? Is it bilateral? Is it just one joint that there's a stability issue? Um, is it a fear of a past injury? Um, in there. So that's when I start having to, they're going to be like, if I ask them um, any surgeries or any traumas, and they're like, oh, none that matter. Guess what? They all matter because they don't realize that could have been what changed the pattern 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now 20 years of working at that faulty pattern, finally the body's starting to break down saying, hey, I can't handle that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so we teach in the Rock Tape course, one of the courses we teach is the movement specialist course. And the whole premise of that course is breaking down movement, um, and looking at conscious versus subconscious. So looking at gait and breathing as the subconscious, cause we shouldn't be thinking about it. And then looking at the squat as conscious. Um, and so we look at it in mechanical model, like, is it a joint issue? Is it a stability issue? Is it a core and breathing issue? Um, or is it like a fear based and maybe a personality issue? Like maybe the way I talk to the person, um, they don't like that or it's like not matching with their personality and then their body responds differently. Like a person who wants quiet and privacy, like going to be great in my office because it's just one-on-one versus my old practice. There could be like 10 tables set up and a bunch of PTs all around. Mm. If someone maybe has fear of being judged, like their pattern, they're very like self-conscious. They will move differently in front of people. Yeah. Um, so could it be some of that too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you could ask personality questions. You could ask, um, past history, like all of that is going to, all the right questions, um, will kind of help develop, um, where to go and what kind of program you kind of set them up on. Yeah. So if somebody is, um, and we'll, we'll link later your everything to get in contact with you if people want to work with you, because I'm sure that people will want to, but if, if not, if they're not able to, what should people be looking for when they go to a PT? Um, well, hopefully the PT one is asking history, Mm -hmm. um, asking past big traumas, um, asking, um, or looking at the whole body. And not just, oh, your shoulder hurts. Can you just do this? Okay, I'm going to give you these stretches and send you on your way. Mm. Like, hopefully they're looking at functional stuff and asking you, okay, when does it happen? Okay, let me watch you do what usually reproduces your pain and see if they can find stuff. Um, If they just treat the site of pain and don't expand out and don't ask many questions and they give you like stim, heat, ultrasounds, all these passive modalities um, and tell you whatever the doctor said, uh, take anti-inflammatories and just rest it. And they're in agreement with that. Then I'd run. Um, but finding someone that has a more holistic, full body functional approach, mm-hmm. um, I think you're going to get better faster. Right. So somebody who is also incorporating breath work as well, potentially into, into the practice. A hundred percent. I think that's my biggest, I wouldn't say regret, but lesson I learned over the years. Like I feel bad for my clients. I had like 
five, 10 years ago sure. that I came in for knee pain and I didn't address all this other stuff. Like I was just like, basically in school, I feel like they taught me how to not kill someone. Mm-hmm. Right. Just like, okay, this joint should move this much. Like the programs are a lot better nowadays and a lot more functional, but like everything that I do now is all from continuing ed and other stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those questions I always ask or people ask me, they're like, Oh, do you take insurance? And I'm like, well, no, like I'm not your traditional PT. Like you can go to one of those settings, but you're not going to get that one-on-one intimate, like full assessment. And maybe there are some practices that do. And now with COVID, maybe a little bit more because of the restrictions of not being able to treat so many people at once. Mm. Um, so that's an option for when there are people that truly maybe can't afford out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll help them find someone mm-hmm. that I think is as functional as possible. Um, but that's part of the reason why I got away from the insurance model is because what if the person coming in, their pain is due to some fear, their pain is due to, so if I'm writing this in their note in their insurance company and it's like, Hey, their neck pain's due to a fear-based issue. Like the insurance company is like, okay, we're not approving visits type of thing. Or their neck issues tied to their big toe. Like the people reviewing that don't necessarily come from a functional, holistic, full body approach. Um, so it's something I have to try to explain to people. Yeah. Um, why? Yeah. Um, and the biggest, that's my favorite word is why, because why are you in pain? Mm-hmm. We need to figure that out. We're going to dig into a lot of different, you know, history, different things to try to help figure out the why and not just go to a, someone that's just treating the shoulder because the shoulder hurts. Yeah. Yeah. How, and I, and I know the answer is going to be, it depends. Um, but with why, right. It's somebody's coming in, you know, 30 years old, 40 years old, and they have, they present with a number of different issues. How long does it take to get, get to a fuller range of motion or not as much pain? I mean, if there is an average. Um, I, it's hard to even put a number on it. I know. It's, it's a trick question. The yeah. answer is going to be every individual is going to be different. And is it something that, you know, there's, is it in my scope that I can treat? Right. Mm-hmm. So if it's something that I think I can really work on. Do I need to send them out for other tests possibly? Because maybe there could be some other stuff going on that's going to inhibit or limit our progress. Um, like, so for me right now, this might be TMI, maybe not. Um, I'm going through actually with Dr. Gabrielle, we went through and did like hormone stool sample and everything. And it came back. I've had stomach issues for years, nothing debilitating, but it's just annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was doing triathlons, my stomach would always get upset. I'm like, well, maybe I have, you know, a parasite or something from the open water swimming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we finally did it, came back like massive bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, leaky gut. And I kind of got excited that we found all that because I'm like, well, maybe that's why I have all these core and midline issues. Yeah. The chronic inflammation in my gut. If we don't address the gut, like, so someone coming in with back pain, could it be too all the inflammation? Um, so if you don't address some of these other things, it's not going to get better as quickly. Like, so someone might be able to manage the pain and decrease the symptoms, but if we really want to take it to the next step, like maybe I have to have some other practitioners involved, um, and run some other tests. So I'm on massive antibiotics right now to wipe out my gut and then to rebuild it back up. But it kind of stinks. Like my resting heart rate has been 10 to 15 beats higher since starting the antibiotics. Like, and I'm waking up exhausted. Um, but I'm like, okay, I have seven more days and then we'll see 
how things could change. But for me, I'm trying to stay positive and thinking about, well, how much more could I lift? How much better will I feel working out and just daily life stuff yeah. if I get rid of the other issues? Um, so, I mean, I love it if a client comes in and we have huge changes and like all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I have full range. And they're like, how long is it going to last? And my answer is it depends. How, how often are you going to do your exercises? How often are you going to be aware of it? Um, and if it's connected to a breathing issue, you have 20,000 reps a day that you possibly could change. Yeah. So think of the amount of reps you're going to need to do to change that pattern. You can't just do it for five to 10 minutes a day. It has to be something you're regularly checking in with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and on, yeah. Yeah. And what you're saying, I think it is it resonates really well in, in the sense that you are looking at this not as a snapshot and saying, okay, I need, I, I want to fix this now and this sucks now, right? You're already looking to say, okay, if I fix this problem now, which sucks now with the antibiotics, with my gut issues, with all of that, I'm going to have reverberating effects down, down the line, you know, for years because I have actually fixed the core of it. But I think that that, that to me has been for me, at least a mindset shift. I am very, very, very in the moment. I really, I want it fast. I want it perfect. I want it now just, and I have no patience, right? Or historically I haven't. And yet I think from what I'm seeing within myself as, as well as just in general, people who are doing well within this kind of health space, it's people who have realized that unfortunately or fortunately, health is not going to be something that you fix this now and then you can go, go back to your old lifestyle. Yeah. You know, it's, it is you, this is going to become your new lifestyle, whatever that new lifestyle is. And, and it can be glorious as well. You know, it doesn't have to feel, feel restrictive or, or it is going to be a habit change, but perhaps you'll actually enjoy liking those new habits. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. It's, it's a shift. Um, and some people can shift a lot of things at once. Other people like, no, we're just doing, okay, just this one thing. Yeah. And for me giving exercises to a client or things that they're like, okay, well, what do I can do? And they want to address everything at once. And I wish I could get them all better at once, but if I give them everything and if nothing changes, I don't know which one it was. So like, I'm going to pick a hierarchy. I'm like, okay, these are the two things. I just want you to work on these two for the next week. Mm-hmm. All right. Sometimes the process is a little bit slower and they're like, no, but I want to get back and do stuff. Um, and it depends on the client. If they are a competitive athlete and they have something coming up, all right, we're going to have to work on all these things right now mm-hmm. just to have you in a safe place to compete. Um, mm-hmm. Versus if they have the time to like, okay, I can step da- back a little bit. I'm not going to tell them not to train. I'm not going to tell them not to do the stuff they love, but we're just going to have to modify it and make it work Mm -hmm. in there. So I try to give my clients, like, what are the one or two biggest things, like the big ticket items that they're going to see the biggest change. And it's almost going to be like peeling of layers. Like you start cleaning up things and then you might feel something like you haven't felt in a while. And they might be like, wait, why is that pain coming back? And then they're getting mad at me. I'm like, no, that's okay. Like we just cleared up a pattern that you were compensating around. Now we have a chance to fix what you were dealing with before that you probably just like worked your way around. It didn't really go away. You were just covering it up with something. Um, So it's, it's a, it's a process. If you can agree with it and be okay with it being a process, it makes it easier. Like, of course, me being a perfectionist, me being the way I am, I want to get people better in one session. Right. And then I'm like disappointed in myself. I'm like, Oh, I want it to totally go away, which that's not realistic. Um, where when someone comes in, yes, I'm going to try to put out the flames 
and then also deal with the bigger picture mm-hmm. in there. And it might take a little while to put out the flames because how long were they dealing with this crappy pattern that was irritating tissue? Um, so yes, that might take some time to offload it and decrease mm-hmm. whatever you know inflammation or swelling or um, pain that they're having. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's a problem. Yeah, Unfor- unfortunately, it is. <laughs> whether we like it or not, everything's connected. And it's a process. So. Right. It's, uh, yeah. And it's, you can look at it as it's annoying and crappy that everything is connected. And then you can flip it and say, it's great that everything is connected. Cause once you start unpeeling, like pulling from one lever and you get, if you fix that, then you can start on seeing all the other things. So in your case, for example, it's, you've already, I mean, f- you kind of physically, you're, you're strong, you're mobile, you're, you're, you're there. It's like, wait, okay. What's the other thing? What's the other little piece that I can work on? Yeah. And like I was talking with a friend of mine, um, Perry Nicholson in New Jersey, a stop chasing pain. Mm -hmm. And he was posting something about lymphatic stuff and talking about the gut. And if you don't clean up the gut, you can't change the other stuff. So we were joking this morning and I told him about all my stomach issue stuff. And he's like, that explains it all. And we were just, who gets excited that they have all this stuff show up? Like, but for me, I wanted, like, I know you're excited something. Now I have a plan. Now I can address it and then hopefully see some big changes afterwards. Um, and it's a learning process. And Dr. Gabrielle's like, you want to do the natural route kind of thing. And all these three to six months of these Mm -hmm. supplements, all this stuff. And I have a big event in three months. So I'm like, or 14 days of like massive, heavy antibiotics, wipe it out and then rebuild it. I'm like, okay, we're going to 14 days. I'll deal with feeling crappy for 14 days if it's something that's going to help me facilitate and kind of speed up the process. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, that's the, that's the choices, right? We're always going to be making those choices. And so for me, anytime anybody asks, well, it's like you have choices out there. You can either go, I, you can live a life where you're, poisoning yourself in one way, shape or form. And then you have to deal with it later on in life (laughs) (laughs) or you can, you can have health throughout, throughout. And, but that means you're putting more effort in every day. Right. And like you just said, changing the word. So that, that same person that, um, stopped me and made me forgive myself Mm. for the way I was treating myself and stuff, that same person, um, we were also talking about how powerful our words are. And so my favorite word now through him was reframe. Yeah. Reframe it. Like I'll stop a client if they start going down that negative route. I'm like, okay, how can you reframe it? Um, and just changing the words because the words are going to be powerful. You're either giving positive energy or negative energy. Which one do we want? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's reframe it and make it a positive spin mm-hmm. and not give energy to like, oh, I can't do that. Well, what can you do? Mm-hmm. Oh, this hurts. Well, what doesn't hurt? Mm-hmm. Um, and just yeah. change that. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not just a trick. I mean, I used to always think like, ah, oh, reframing, that's just a trick. And, and actually perhaps it is a trick, but yeah. it's a trick that works. Whatever you want to call it. yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. So you were, you were saying before about uh, the things that like, what are the big ticket things? Like you can't give your clients everything to do at once. Right. And obviously again, it depends on the clients, but do you have big things that you see work really, really well for, for clients? So, you know, making sure that they're, I mean, I uh, obviously sleep, breath work, you know, is it, is it habits? Is it like, what are the big things you say? Okay. If you can get these two, three things, right. Then, then everything else is going to be easier. So one is first their breath. 
right? Reconnecting with their breath. Are they in control of their breath? Can they actually like, okay, I want to breathe more into the right lower quadrant. Like, can they actually do that? Um, people sometimes don't even have that control or even know how to breathe properly. So that's number one, because think of it, 20,000 reps of a proper breath stimulate pelvic floor, your core, your spinal stabilizers, actually get motility of your organs up and down every single rep. So if we're not getting those 20,000 reps, core is not as efficient. Back stabilizers aren't as efficient. Pelvic floor isn't as efficient. Um, maybe you even have heartburn, reflux, some other stuff because of the diaphragm being tight and restricting the esophagus. So, I mean, even constipation, all, all different things um, can be linked to breathing. Um, so if we can clean up the breathing, then we have a chance of having a solid foundation to build on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Breathing one, posture number two, and being aware of their daily habits, and then recovery. Recovery is something that in the past few years that I never took seriously. I was one of those people that was up till midnight and then getting up at five or six, not realizing like I felt like crap and it was because I wasn't sleeping, uh, wasn't drinking water, wasn't getting enough protein, was probably eating too much processed food um, and changed all that. Mm. So for me, I might, my one friend, he calls me like grandma because I'm going to bed at 8.30, in bed 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. Like, yeah, yeah I'll sleep later sometimes. But if I don't have to, I'm like, hey, I want to get eight, nine hours of sleep tonight. I'm going to feel great tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so those are probably the three biggest things. Yeah. Uh, just to and, for awareness. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. And just the sleep-wise, the diet, the hydration, all that stuff is going to improve their body's ability to heal. Mm-hmm. If they're not doing those things, it's going to take longer to get better. Mm-hmm. So for, from the breathwork standpoint, because yeah, 20, I didn't know it was 20,000 breaths a day. That's, I mean, that's think about the higher end. I think, I think it's between 18 to, or if, I mean, between 15 to 20,000, but still, if you say 15,000, that's still a lot. Yeah. It's, it's still 15,000 things that you're doing, uh, kind of patterns that you're giving your brain, do this, yeah. do this correctly or incorrectly. It's a, it's yeah. a and signal. It and it should be totally subconscious. It should be happening all day and it's not. Yeah. Uh, and realizing you could be setting yourself up for injury if you're not doing these things properly. And sometimes we don't think of that. And I'm never one to, um, and I try to reframe it if it does happen. I don't want to put fear in any of my clients. So there's a lot of doctors that like will look at something and be like, oh, wow, like look at the back on this or look at your MRI findings. Like, how much pain are you really in? Like, this looks horrible. Like you shouldn't be working out. Like your words are really powerful. So like, I try to never say, Oh wow. Or this is whatever. Um, it depends on the personality of the person. Like some people do well, if you warn them like, Hey, if you don't change this down the line, but how, who am I to say they might have certain issues? Like they may not. So I can't say that. And I get frustrated with practitioners to be like, Oh, does this area hurt? And they're like, Oh, not yet. Like the practitioner said that to me and I'm like, okay, I'm done with you. Um, (laughs) How do you know that? But reframing the stuff to be more positive and say, if you breathe properly, like you could probably lift so much more. You're going to feel so much better. You're going to have like, say you usually complain of being tired at the end of the day Mm -hmm. um, and not being able to play with your kids. You're going to have more energy. You're going to be more efficient, more efficient. You are, you expend less energy. Um, so you'll have more later in the day, um, mm-hmm. to do stuff. So I'll try to reframe it back to stuff that they want and their goals and saying, if you do this, this is going to help with that. Yep. Um, so I think we have to be really mindful of the words we use and how we motivate our clients, yeah. uh, but also understanding yeah. personality, but knowing 
that they probably never thought that it could be a breathing issue and never thought they'd be going home thinking about the breathing. Um, so that's probably the biggest issue. Yeah. And so if somebody is a, is a mom who's running around, doesn't have time, um, what, what are, what does that look like in her day? How do you, how does she incorporate that into her day? Do you ever go to the bathroom? All right. If you go to the bathroom, you have 30 seconds right there just to work on your breath while you're going to the bathroom or, you know, when you're at the counter, if you're home with the kids and you're at the sink doing some stuff, what's your posture like? Okay. When you stop, go ahead, push your hands down on the counter, engage that core. And I want you to breathe down into your belly. Like I will try to find little ways that you have no excuse, um, not to do it. Like, okay, I want you to put your baby on your belly. And when you take a breath in, the baby should move. Your chest shouldn't move. Like little things like make it a playtime if you have to, or somehow incorporate it with what they're doing or try to get the kids. Okay. We're going to spend one minute of quiet time. And I want you guys like trying to get the kids to do it too. Um, so there's ways to incorporate it. Like people have excuses. Like I have no time. I'm like, well, if you're dropping the kids off at soccer or you're sitting in the car waiting for them, you're practicing your breathing right there. Yeah. Yeah. Waiting for a red light. I mean, what, what's the, what's the stat, the stat out there? I think it said two people waste two weeks of their life waiting at red lights. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm at a red light. Is my head touching the headrest or is my head totally forward with horrible posture? Am I slouched in the seat, like in total, like curved or am I a little more upright head touching the headrest and actually breathing into my belly? Like, so I tell my clients at a red light, I want you to reconnect with your posture and your breath. Nice. I'm not going to give them a big exercise when they're driving because I don't want them to ever come back and say, oh, I was doing an exercise, so I got, I got an accident, right? So we have to be mindful of that. But little check-in points. The insurance um, claim on the car. Dr. Megan told me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not what I told you. But you should be doing that, just not while you're in the middle of driving. Right. So morning times, what does that look, what should, what's a good practice for, for women again, if they have, let's say 30 minutes and they can do something, what, what would that 30 minutes look like? I mean, for them, it doesn't even have to be 30. If they have even just 10 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, even before you get out of bed, like just get on your back, bring your knees into your chest, go through some breaths, try to feel the breath into the pelvic floor, feel the breath filling into the low back do like what I said, just some of those blue bridges go through maybe those sticky points. We kind of said like if certain movements, people feel tight, we'll go into those movements and then focus on one or two breaths while you're there and try to move in and out of it. Um, get on and do a little core. So it's simple, just crawling. That's like one, that's our foundational, like there is correlation to injuries and certain stuff in life for people that never crawled. Um, so if you skip that crawling phase, you, um, miss a huge window of your development of your core stability and that cross pattern firing. Mm-hmm. So for me and people raising kids, don't worry about your kid being the first one to walk, kick them back down on the floor and make them crawl longer. No. Um, don't <laughs> force them to walk too early. Like they need to earn it. Just mm-hmm. like we have to earn the right to be able to do certain things like be on the rig or barbell or whatever it may be. I have to earn the right to be there. The kids are supposed to earn the right to stand and walk. But a lot of times it's easier for the parents to put them in a little bouncy thing and let them be supported so you can get other stuff done, but you're giving them external support. And it's like giving like a 80 year old woman that just had a knee replacement. It's like giving her, telling her to go do jumping like squats. <laughs> and like you're giving them, let them go do plyometrics and they haven't even learned how to stand up yet. Um, so just being mindful when we think of it that way, 
mm-hmm. right? You have to earn the right to do these things. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and probably also not always picking them up because when we pick them up, what happens to our hips? Yes. I, that same client that I talked about before, she actually purchased something that strapped onto her leg and had a shelf and strapped around her. So she put her son on it because he got so big and she wanted to be able to hold them, but she didn't want to get injured. I'm like, so there's stuff out there. I'm like, why couldn't you created that? Like, but you're still going to be like hiking funny with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, someone's making money off of that thing. That's amazing. I need to create yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. Too good. Too good. Jeez, I can't. Just like a table. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little ledge. Yeah. 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 Jeez. What, um, what else, what else do you, what are, what's like a myth that you want to bust for, for women out there? What is something that you think is just, Um, that's what Dr. Gabrielle said as well to some extent. Like, yeah, you need to like my body, like some people say, maybe I'm a little too muscular, whatever. If you looked at me five, six years ago, no, what year are we at now? No. Yeah. So six years ago when I was doing all Ironman, like and endurance stuff, like my body looked different. Um, but I wasn't lifting as much and I was probably the most not non-functional. Like if you told me to squat six years ago, I'd probably fall over. Um, because just function wise, like I was just non-functional, um, Mm -hmm. just triathlon swimming and running. You're all just in one plane basically the whole time. Um, my body totally changed. And it's funny, like someone had texted me asking me, um, have I ever had body image issues? And I kind of laughed. I'm like, who doesn't? Like, I would be really shocked if you find people that like for their whole life, they've loved their body and maybe it's the way they were raised. I don't know. But for me, that wasn't the case for me. I had lots of body image issues and it's been a work in progress. Um, and like we get back to that forgiveness thing. It's been the past few years that I've actually learned to love my body. Like I went that long, like I'm going to be 40 soon. And it's like, it took me to my mid thirties to finally, or into my thirties to really love myself and be happy and content in my own skin. I used to be crawling out of my skin at times and wishing why couldn't my body be a different way. Um, but I do have to say ever since I started lifting heavy, there comes a confidence with that. Mm. Um, I relate it to my life being on the bar. Life gets hard. Life sucks at times. It can crush you or you could stand back up again, right? So when you have heavy load on your back, I kind of relate it to that. Like, am I going to let it crush me or am I going to get in between those thoughts in my head and kind of push through? Um, So I saw the biggest changes once I started putting my body under load, Um, not only physically, but mentally, spiritually, whatever else, um, the confidence that I have in myself, because one, when you, when you pick something up heavy, like you accomplished a task, like Mm -hmm. you're proud of yourself. And when you beat it the next time, you're proud of yourself, um, for getting stronger. Um, but it's, it has so many other effects other than just, okay, building some muscle mass and increasing your metabolism. It gives you that confidence. Um, and I think it changes your outlook on your own body too. When you can see how you can manipulate things with recovery, diet and lifting, like it's pretty powerful. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's the, I just want to pause on that because that is, that is very, very strong, honestly. And it's, yeah, it's just a very strong statement of you starting to get back into control and feeling like, Hey, look at me. I can, I have the ability to manipulate 
whatever is my surrounding. I can change how my body looks. I can change how I feel. I, I have that power. And I think that I was talking to somebody before and, and I was saying, yeah, you know, I think I love that women are getting back into control. And he asked me, he was like, well, when was it ever taken away from you guys? Which I think is a really interesting statement. Yeah. And it's to some extent, yeah, we can go into the socioeconomical side of things and, and yeah, we can go there. But part of it is also how much are we giving it up on our own? Mm-hmm. How much are it, how much is that self-talk? There's, there's one, um, I posted it the other day. There's a, uh, a commercial from always where, uh, they ask a couple of girls, they say, and, you know, kind of, uh, mid adults, um, if I tell you run like a girl, what is, can you, can you go ahead and do that? And you see them running with their hands, waving and flailing. And then later it's, it's reframed again and it's okay. Well, would you like to redo that again? And because what they asked was they asked little kids, little girls, you know, sub, sub 10, some, and they're running like crazy. They have no issues. They have, they're just like going for it. Right. And, um, and so then they showed that to those, to those older folks, those older older women, men. And they said, do you want to, that's a reframe kind of, do you want to try it again? And the next time those girls run, they're just, they're pummeling down. And it is, it's, what is that self-talk? What is that, that, that we've stopped ourselves to say, no, we can't accomplish it or we're not in control or look, we'll never be those, those girls that are up on the magazines. Yeah. Minus the fact that they're always Photoshopped and they also probably are in the gym hours and hours and hours out of the day. And they're not, you know, they, they have a lot more support potentially than other women who are having a job, having kids, trying to balance and, you know, have friends and have, have time for themselves, like have a life. Come on, you know? And that's something else too. And that's where it comes back to the forgiveness side of things. Like how did our parents raise us? If we even had two parents, maybe whoever the adults mm. were in our life that raised us, you know, they maybe had issues and they didn't mean to, but by the way they treated themselves, we saw that. And the next, you know, you're wondering why, why do I have this issue? And maybe it's like, you didn't realize you had that insecurity, but you always heard say, if it was a mom, a dad, an aunt, whoever raised you, um, insecure about that part of their body. And you would pick up on that all the time. They were on diets, for example. And it's like, wait, wait. So if they're dieting, that means that that's a normal thing. Yeah. And that's what you're supposed to do. And like, so sometimes it's like, okay, I need to forgive my parents. And I've gone through tons of stuff in my life. And that stuff I'll share with people if it's something that maybe they can benefit from. Um, that, you know what? My parents did the best they can. I had a great upbringing, but we all have flaws. We all have, you know, things that we could have done better and forgiving my parents. Cause maybe my, my mom did the best she could cause she acted the way her mom did. And, you know, my grandma acted the way she did a lot because my grandpa was like intimidating and scary. He was an amazing guy, but like fear stuff came in. So then, you know, that stuff played into how my mom raised us. Yeah. Um, and so not knowing and never being comfortable in my own skin or feeling like I was good enough, you know, it could have been a little bit of the dynamic of the upbringing and forgiving your family for that. Like that's our family of origin. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to choose to stay there. We can choose to forgive them. We can choose to detach if we need to, if that's what's healthy for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then thinking about what's best for us. Like I love my family dearly, but I've also learned what I don't want and things too. Like there's both sides of it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another powerful thing where then giving the person control back, mm. like, yes, you may have this kind of stuff, but you know what, let's detach from certain things and let's like take a look at it. 
um, in there. And, you know, maybe that's part of it, like whether it be coping mechanisms, right? Like our body will compensate in ways. Our mind sometimes does the same thing. Like I was an emotional eater, like, and then all of a sudden I got a dog and I lost 10 pounds and I was like, what, what's happening here? Like, why am I losing weight? I'm not trying to lose weight, but I was happier. I realized I wasn't like when I'm sitting home alone, I wasn't wanting to snack. Right. Because now I have something that brings me joy. I have something that gets me out of my own head. So sometimes it's us getting out of our own way. And then all of a sudden you see things changing. So very, very true. Very so everyone true. just put a dog and learn how to breathe. No. Done. <laughs> Done. I, I second that. <laughs> uh, um, okay. Is there anything else that you want to cover? Is there anything else that comes to mind that you want folks to think about or be aware of? I just want them to think about when they, like if someone has pain, like one, that's just your brain sending a warning signal. That doesn't mean that you're damaged goods. It doesn't mean that there's damage to the tissue yet. Like maybe, maybe if there's a trauma, yes, there could have been some damage, but just because someone's having pain, that's just the body telling you, Hey, we need to take a look at things. We need to reassess. Let's just take a look. Don't be shackled by it. Um, but give yourself the chance to see someone. Um, and that's why like some people are like, Oh, I don't need physical therapy. The doctor didn't tell me like, I wish everyone would just come to me as like almost a physical mm. Like one year we're addressing mind, body, spirit, all in one. Like you go to your regular physical, they're like, Oh, blood pressure, heart rate, like height, weight, all that stuff. I'm like, really? Is that functional at all? Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is, but I wish we could take it to the next step and everyone come in like once a year for a maintenance physical of where a, a body check-in, yeah. um, where are you at? Right. Yeah. I think a lot of things can be solved if you see someone to correct some of this stuff before they start creeping in. Yeah. Um, so that's, just- that's a, that's a, I, I love that. Um, and when I come down to Southern California, I'm coming to you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's spot on because again, if you're making just those minor tweaks, those are a lot easier to do than a massive, oh crap. Like we see that you, you know, you're about to have to have a hip replacement. Yeah. Yeah. So catch those things before think of it as like a movement physical mm. um, and just working on optimizing your body and taking control back. Um, Cause so many people either use their job, their home life, whatever it may be as excuses mm-hmm. to be in control and take time for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Megan, I always ask people kind of rapid fire questions at the very end. Um, so there's three questions. Okay. So first one is what would you tell your 15 year old self? Ugh. Forgive and love yourself. That was probably the worst stage 15. <laughs> so you're enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Second one, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about women's health, what would it be? Like I said before, like lifting heavy doesn't make you bulky. Yeah. Yeah. And name one teacher or book that has changed your way of thinking. I think it would start with Gray Cook's functional movement and him. Um, because then so much stuff fell into place after I changed how I looked at the body. Mm -hmm. So probably his book, functional movement. Nice. Okay. Any others that you want to mention as well that come to mind? That's the number one. But if there's any others that like you you would think, okay, yeah, you know what, if you want to get more into this space, this is what I'd recommend you read or follow. A whole list for you when we do our Q and a then. 
Sad. Okay. I have a whole bunch sitting at home and just calling them out right now. It's like I'm drawing a blank on some of them, but that's All good. I have books for like different topics. Perfect. Okay. We'll have to take a screenshot of, of your entire bookshelf. Then. <laughs> Super. Um, what, if anybody wants to work with you, are, are you taking clients? Do you, where are you based? How can people find you? So based in Carlsbad, San Diego, you guys can find me at primalstrengthpt.com um, or primalstrengthdoc on Instagram. So it's either in-house here um, or I do virtual too. So doing virtual, um, going through movement patterns, whatever it may be, kind of breaking things down. And if we have to take it to another level or have someone, if I need to find a practitioner out by you that kind of thinks the same way, um, I always love doing the team approach. I feel like it's always better when we get multiple eyes on things sometimes too. Um, if we're all working together, that is, um, <laughs> but they can find me either at primalstrengthpt.com or on Instagram at primalstrengthdoc. Fab. Well, thank you again. And I think guys, it's been, this is not just a PT conversation, right? We've gotten into so many other big things and it's, um, again, if you're looking for a PT, go to, go to Dr. Megan, if you can. Um, but if not, make sure that the person is looking out for these things because everything really is connected, isn't it? It's all connected. Whether we thank- like it or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you again, Dr. Megan. Thank really you so much. It. All right. And hope to see you down here soon. Who'd have thunk that the psoas release is actually something that not everyone needs right now, or that we're having 20,000 breaths a day. I know for me, I'm going to be looking at my breath work slightly differently after that conversation. Dr. Megan is something else. And if you'd like to work with her, she does do online consults, which is probably one of the few benefits of this remote living that we're all doing. So check her out at www.primalstrengthpt.com. If you learned something during this episode, would you do us a kindness and leave a review or tag us on social media? Let's share the wealth together and be able to spread some of these messages to more of our friends. If you enjoy content like this, then chances are you'll also love our global online private community of women's health explorers. You can join us there at www.whealth.community. Catch you there. Until our next health exploration, stay awesome.